little bit of Rita is all I need. Welcome back to Bizarre Podcast, Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant. You can call him Chip. And as promised, uh, it is time for another very special guest. Please introduce yourself as you would like to be introduced. Hey, I am Sarah of, of House Mook Costumes. You can call me Sarah Mook Costumes or just Sarah if you like. And I, my life and fashion sense has been irre- irrevocably changed by JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And I'm here to talk about it. I, I have to to ask, uh, uh, I guess, in what ways has your life been changed? And I guess as a lead up to that, how did you discover JoJo's? How, how did this franchise enter your life? I'm a, I'm a costume person. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a costume maker, costume designer. And I just never saw the appeal of fashion until I started reading specifically the JoJo's manga. And that, that only really mm. becomes relevant in later parts. But I wanted to go on for this specific section because I think that Rohan Kishibi is the character where all that like starts with and comes from. (laughs) And just the knock-on effect that therefore Rohan Kishibi has had in my life has been just quite subtle. But for example, the only lipsticks I own are blue, yellow and green, stuff like that. We did commit a crime last week. We never mentioned Rohan's crop jacket. And, oh like, my his God. abs are just out the whole time. No, no, no. And the Jonkin Boy episode. <laughs> we'll catch it. Um, <laughs> but specifically as to how I discovered JoJo, um, in about 2012, 2010, I was a huge progressive rock fan. Like, my favorite bands were like, yes. Pink Floyd, like, you know, really into Led Zeppelin and stuff. And Mm -hmm. that meme kept going around with the Yes song of Roundabout. And I was like, Yes is like my favorite band. Like, what the fuck (laughs) is this about? Where's the other eight minutes? (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then I start start watching Jojo. I'm like, well, this kind of sucks. I don't care about this. And then eventually I actually get through like the first two episodes and there's a character called Tarkus. And I'm like, Tarkus, that's my favorite Emerson, Lake and Palmer album. (laughs) There's a guy called Bill Bruford. And I I was just like, I was lost (laughs) to the Jojo franchise from then on. That is amazing. That's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know, I think since then it's been a bit of a, a rubrous sort of strip of like JoJo's also getting me into new bands and getting me even more into Yes. And like I actually nearly got kicked out of a Yes concert because I was so excited when they played Roundabout because I was like, that's the JoJo <laughs> song now! <laughs> and all the like sort of 50, 60 year olds sitting around me like just moved away and possibly made some complaints about me, but we we, we got to stay in there. I got to see Bill Bruford, <laughs> my favorite Jojo character. Oh my god! Yeah, I just want. I wonder how how many people in a Yes concert in the audience would be a Jojo knower at this point. One person every concert is just like, "Yes, I'm here for the Jojo song." <laughs> like, because I did I did wear a Jojo t shirt to that gig. Okay, no no one noticed. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. So there is one, and for that one, it was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You get one. <laughs> so today we are talking about the the middle section of uh, uh, part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. All of the episodes with the second OP, basically. Yeah. This time, I'm going to posit 
And people like JoJo's because for all of the variety, for all the changes, and we're going to talk about a lot, uh, even for a middle section, new things are introduced much more than, say, the second quarter of uh, Stardust Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for all of that, there's always a return to the familiar. Like, Kira is very different from our previous uh, uh, main villains, but just having one around feels more like JoJo's, right? More than, say, the first half of Diamond is Unbreakable does without him. Mm-hmm. Without a him, <laughs> man. This this second third of part four starts out strong by giving us Rohan. Hmm. <laughs> a, a large portion of all the people who get beaten up in part four eventually either become friends or at least docile <laughs> towards the protagonists. <laughs> They're tamed, yes. Yeah, but Rohan, like obviously Rohan, being a bit more special than a lot of the other. Uh, characters introduced because he he he's not quite a self insert, but he is what Araki seems to believe a perfect manga artist is, mm, mm. and he is perhaps the least docile. Like he, he is the wild yeah. stallion you cannot break. You know, <laughs> yeah. At most, he'll eat oats out of your hand now, and that's about it. But then he goes back to <laughs> flailing around and kicking. I just really enjoy Rohan for a bunch of reasons. He's such a dick, and everyone mm-hmm. in the show knows it and is mm. constantly expressing how much of a dick he is. But he's just useful enough that he just keeps being around. Uh, <laughs> and and it's that perception that absolutely universal. There is no one in Rohan's corner. There's just, again, Koichi <laughs> who doesn't know how to say no to him. Yeah, he's but too nice. that that gives you the permission to like this awful man. Yeah, Rohan feels less like a specifically a self insert. Like this is representing Araki himself, so much as Ro- Rohan is representing the things Araki likes, such as mm-hmm. manga yeah. and fashion and sheer horror. There's several. There's like a few things that Rohan says, and I'm like, this is just an opinion that Araki wanted to get out there for the readers. Like he's sort of like mm-hmm, a vehicle yeah. for Araki to say things through. That little spiel that Rohan goes through in the the two parter where he's first introduced, where he he's talking about how you have to experience reality to be able to bring that realness to your stories. It just makes me wonder: Has Araki ever thought about licking a spider? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor spider. Rip to a real one. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that does come across to me as something Araki also believes, because like for a whole lot of his JoJo parts, he travels and goes to all of the, as many of the locations that he wants to write into his story as possible. Like He went all mm-hmm. over the place for part three. He goes all over. He visited America a whole bunch for part six, when we eventually get to part six. Oh, boy. Where I feel like the fashion goes even more into overdrive good lord but yeah that, that feels very much like an actual thing Iraqi believes and also really wanted to find a way to talk about <laughs> yeah there is like a, even in this part there's a lot you know especially when Jotaro and Josuke are going like rat hunting and there's a lot of just like the Iraqi facts are inserted I'm like yeah you find this interesting and you're like all right okay <laughs> where's there like a little hole in my manga that I can just stretch apart and insert this fact into people need to know this yeah. This Zoo Books gift subscription is going to be worth it, I swear. <laughs> it just makes me wonder if the, the whole little like Shigechi fight was originally come up with him just going like, I need material, and then he just opened up his wallet and he had a coupon. He was like, that's it! <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a stand based on this coupon! Yeah, yeah. From the get-go with uh, the Rohan fight and, ba- and everything after 
this for this entire stretch of episodes i feel like a lot of the fights get even more even more creative and even more less combat focused mm-hmm. than before yeah i mean the the shigechi fight is an extended chase scene yeah I, it has moments of combat, but it's like saying that, you know, and any given spy movie has a shootout when, you know, someone's <laughs> just like getting the, their uh, back window shot. Like, no, it's a chase scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there's so many of the like stand fights. I noticed this. They're not quite enemies. They're just like mm-hmm. the one with the beautician, the one with the like the ghost alley or even the weird like Jankin boy. And it's so many like. And even stuff like the uh, Yoshikage Kira is trying to get his hand back from Shigechi. Like, that's not <laughs> a fight where, like, oh, there's an enemy stand you. It's just, like, weird shit is happening. Yeah, yeah. So many of them almost feel just either like, okay, we're having a weird social dispute, but with ghosts involved. Or, <laughs> yeah. or if it's not a straight up social dispute, it's like, and this happens even more in later parts, I feel, where entire stand fights are just more, like really mortifying social situations yeah (laughs) where like especially in in some later fights where it's just more like oh god it's this is either really embarrassing and i can't tell people about this because the nature of the stand will make me look like a fucking fool (laughs) or something like that like there some some of these sometimes just feel like nightmares that you might have about like a really awkward social situation where no one believes you that this thing is happening mm. or it's just really embarrassing. Like even with Kira, who's the fucking villain the whole time, like it's still a, kind of a stressful episode mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It, he's just constantly in hiding trying to snatch his fucking bag from these kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kira is the most embarrassable man. Like, he is so, so invested in uh, not being seen or noticed. Like, sure, it, it, part of it is that's how he survives as an unknown serial killer. But he's just, he's got terrible social anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Poor David Bowie. Just, like, sending his suit back uh, would be mortifying. He, he can't, like, yeah, I, I will eat this food that somebody else ordered. It's it's my fault. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I mean, because Kira is the first like more low key JoJo villain. Because you know previously there was like Angelo, and it was like yeah, he's a he does all this murder and sexual assault, <laughs> and he's the most evil person ever. But the like subtlety of Kira and the sheer relatability of him, just yeah. it's simply good. Kira's Kira's great. I mean, Kira's not great. I do not endorse the actions of Yoshikage Kira, but but Kira casts such a long shadow that, like, when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, it took me a while to remember that Rohan was also added to the cast. Like, all my thoughts were Kira thoughts. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he is one of the biggest standout villains in all of JoJo for me, at least. But yeah, it's it's such an interesting contrast comparing him between basically any and all other villains in JoJo. Every single major villain we've had has been a threat to the world. And this guy mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. not give a fuck about the world. He just gives <laughs> a fuck about his own little chunk of reality he's carved out that he wants to keep, you know, stable and, and routine. I'm pretty sure there are guys that Jotaro fought in Stardust Crusaders who have a higher kill count <laughs> than Kira. Like he feels yeah. like uh, even just among other normal villains and in, in other parts, he feels like a uh, a lesser threat. He's just a really bad guy, though. Mm, mm. He's motivated by bedtime in, instead yeah. of uh, uh, like enslaving all of humanity or just 
eating everyone on Earth. Yeah, which is yeah. so much more sinister because we can all relate to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do just want to get a good night's sleep <laughs> and a nice sandwich. That I eat out of a hand. What a freak. <laughs> well, you what know. What a fucking freak. T- taste is taste. You know, uh, I really do love that speech he gives to Shigechi, though, about his, his life's routine. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a good way of introducing his entire philosophy in like a minute. Yeah, like that. That's probably the part of JoJo's Part Four that I like. I just come back and watch it every so often. Mm-hmm. Are the Kira episodes and sometimes the Rat episodes for some reason I find them compelling. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why don't we get to see the grandparent cube get healed? <laughs> Worried about the cube of grandparent meat it's still alive? <laughs> Help them. By now, I doubt they're still alive. <laughs> oh, man. All, all the mundane rats have been getting chunks, too. There's not a lot left. At the beginning of Diamond is Unbreakable, I was like, oh, I know what this is. This this is a cop show. This this is <laughs> a, a supernatural, like, no badges, but this is a cop show. And those are generally about, you know, heroes putting down a threat to normal society. Like, th- things work, but then there's a bad guy, we catch the bad guy, and now everything's hunky-dory again. But Diamond is Unbreakable takes pains to make it clear that Kira is the embodiment of that society. Like, where whereas something like Dio coming back yet again would be much more normal for, for like, the procedural genre. Yeah. Yeah, like, we, we talked about it or, or the first episode featuring him. Yeah, and he does feel very much like so, some other stories like American Psycho and other things where it's just trying to be trying to be the ideal citizen makes you fucking insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to embody all of those different ideals or whatever. I had something else I was going to say with this. and I, it, just, it just shot out of my head. He- <laughs> Heaven, Heaven's Door got to me and wrote it out of my mind. <laughs> it's such a powerful stand. It happens to the best of us. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you you like manga too much. You're so vulnerable. Yeah, it's true. Every time I see a manga, I, I just lose a memory. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of real life, and it is notable mm-hmm. that every, compared to previous parts and even previous of this section, like every fight in this section is just dealing with an aspect of everyday life that oh maybe Iraqi mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. finds it kind of annoying when people keep going to the beautician <laughs> thinking that that's going to change their life i'm just going to write like three or four chapters about that <laughs> um isn't it annoying when like a rat comes into my grandparents house and turns them into a weird cube and puts them in the fridge <laughs> i hate that i'm going to write some chapters about it big old rat artillery <laughs> why doesn't the rat sit in it there's a chair <laughs> I mean, the rat's hideous, but for some reason, I still think that sounds cute. (laughs) (laughs) I think it really speaks to how much of Diamond is Unbreakable is about the embodiment of opposites, right? Like, the the dumbest boy alive is a natural-born stand genius. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And who who has the most, like, joie de vivre in all of Morio? The dead girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, your murderous deviant is uh, uh, impossible to find because he's the boringest man alive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also wonder if there's any aspect to the, the creation of Kira that's based in um, specifically like the, the cultural worth, work ethic you're meant to have in Japan a lot of mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. I completely forget what Kira's job even was for that convenience store. Was he just like an accountant or something like that? He seems he was just... a manager of some sort, like a middle manager. Okay, yeah. So many of those jobs just seem soul-crushing. 
And mm-hmm. I wonder if yeah. that's also meant to be a, a part, a factor of why Kira is what he is. <laughs> yeah, although it, it, from the way he's written, it feels more like he's shaped himself into the perfect cog to go into the, the mm. blood machine. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 In order so that he can do his hand crimes. No, yeah, I guess uh, from from the Heartfather episode too. Just just looking at the couple of childhood photos, you can see of him. He also seemed, as JoJo has established before, babies can just be born evil. <laughs> yeah, and from the photos of child time Kira, and time again, it keeps happening. It, it yeah, from the photos of child Kira, it does make it appear that he was born just simply evil. Mm, mm. But I mean, he's a product of. Uh, his father, which is another thing we learn very important there. Like, uh, uh, it's something he and Dio have in common. Bad, bad dads. They got bad dads. Uh, whereas Dio's was abusive, obviously. Kira's is just overindulgent. You know, if, if maybe uh, Pappy Kira had set some boundaries, <laughs> said, you know, no murder is allowed in, in, uh, <laughs> under my roof, we might not be here. <laughs> yeah. God, there really are so many bad dads in JoJo, aren't there? Even George Joestar sucks. But but just like Kira being so outwardly normal and average and unremarkable, he had a present and involved father and turned out to be the monster that he is. Mm. Whereas Josuke and Okiasu's stories are uh, an absent and also an abusive father, and they turned out to be nice, sweet boys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying with Josuke, you're better off without one. Don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Holly turned out fine. It's right. okay. So yeah, Sarah, I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. more about... Earlier, we, we were briefly talking about Rohan. Y- you were saying that he seems to be kind of the, the breaking point in JoJo where like the fashion starts to go crazy. I wanted to hear more your thoughts about the fashion of part four. Yeah. Do you, Have you either of you seen the start of part four live action movie? No, actually. Okay. I've seen like a couple little qu- clips from the trailers and stuff, but like that's it. I mean, you know, the plot of it is, it's just the thing. They haven't really done that much with it, but just, mm-hmm. it's a movie I really respect in terms of costume design because I, I, I watch a lot of anime live action adaptations. Like I have a weird obsession with them because <laughs> they always kind of suck or are incredible. I'm never quite sure which, sometimes both. And I think it's just because of the costume design, because these people are trying to adapt these drawn costumes as accurately as possible, which is just not how it works usually in costume design. Mm -hmm. You want to make clothes that look like they exist in real life, because that's what clothes do. Ideally. Most of mine do. (laughs) And and with Jojo, that adaptation, they just went fucking off the shits. They were like, no, we're going to do the really weird like Jotaro hat. Like, it's going to look like that. And it just, it really got to grips with the way Jojo doesn't give a shit about realism in terms of character design because like usually when you're doing costume design you want to consider stuff like i don't know the personality of the character what they do what their job is what kind of things they like to wear what would be sensible for them to wear and iraqi just said nah we're just gonna (laughs) make them look cool I'm just going to put them in like whatever I saw on the Moschino catwalk two weeks ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, they're they're a manga artist. Everything about them is going to be nibs. Let's just fucking go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And like, I just think Rohan is the first character that Araki has really done that with, like to that extent. And, you know, sort of part three had fun, fucked up character designs that we all love to see. But like, 
with Rohan and going forward, um, I'm thinking, to be honest, more about part five and six, because those are oh, yeah. fresher in my mind. They're more sort of obviously like you've just taken this from the Milan catwalks of that year. <laughs> um, Araki just never bothers considering like realism or comfort and is just like, okay, what like motif can I repeat and what weird holes can I cut in this to show parts of this character's body? Because people need to see that. Yeah, yeah. up to this point, uh, everybody is wearing obviously very identifiable clothes because that's, I mean, that's the, the medium. You got to know at a glance who's who, right? Uh, but they are recognizable outfits. Like, I, I know what to call this piece. I know its name. <laughs> it, it is like t- taking recognizable clothes and personalizing them, uh, uh, customizing them. But beyond this point, like when I see stills of uh, uh, part five and part six, like I don't, no, nobody in the world has ever worn that stuff outside <laughs> on the street. Yeah, yeah. Something I've been curious about, especially when when Araki starts to go really hog wild with later outfits for Rohan and stuff in part five and six is because I know that like some Jojo poses either done for covers or, or whatever. Sometimes those are just poses ripped straight from like a fashion magazine, mm-hmm. like some famous photo shoot. And it's just like, well, he liked that pose. Now the guy, the Jojo part five is doing that pose a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Like with the costumes he designs, is there any traces of like inspiration from real fashion designers in there? Or is it just ape, ape shit stuff? <laughs> There, there definitely is because I've seen like posts and tweets, and also done my own research about mm-hmm. where specific pieces might have come from. Like I think I saw the heart cutout motif that's throughout part five in like a Gucci collection from like 1994 mm. or something, but then I couldn't find it again. So I'm like, did I really see that or did I just imagine it? <laughs> um, <laughs> And like occasionally I would come across something from mostly like, again, 90s fashion, some like Moschino stuff comes to mind where it's like, that just really seems very Jojo-esque. Like, I think there are certain brands that I get the vibe that Araki was following, like Gucci and Moschino would be up there. But it's it's never just like direct. I've never seen anything just like directly lifted from a catwalk and put into Jojo, mm-hmm. apart from like uh, yeah. the, the poses from editorials and stuff. Yeah, because I was curious, especially when I watched the the animated adaptation of Part 6, and that's where he really starts, like, there's still musicians and band names and song names for character names, but he also starts dumping a lot of fashion designer names in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When the cliffhanger of this first chunk of Part 6 introduces a new guy named Sports Maximum, and you go, what the (laughs) fuck is Sports Maximum? And then you find out it's like a handbag or something. Yeah. Like, it's just like, okay... There has to be some some like visual traces of like influence from this stuff in there in, in some way. There absolutely is. I just don't quite know enough about fashion to to really right. track it. You came to the right uh, uh, show. Let let us two Midwestern <laughs> straight boys. Uh... Yep, know a ton about it. <laughs> yeah, if that if that heart cutout motif thing is is a real thing, that that's might be one of the biggest like traces of that being in his work. Cause I, ever since part three, there's just been tons of little hearts on so many characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that again with like little zigzags and little triangles, especially with like Jotaro, this part and a few oh, other characters. Yeah. Just big pointy triangles bolted to the boy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All go over for the it. place. 
I think we didn't mention it. I think we were talking about this after we finished last week's episode. But Jotaro's more recent change to the medals on his hat. So now he just has three like male symbols on his hat now. I love it. It, it raises the question, did he bring a lot of hats when he came to Morio? Or is there a hat store in Morio? Or is he just like on his nights off when people stop calling his, his hotel room phone making new hats? I think he just picks up the phone and says, hello, Speedwagon Foundation. I need number 34 <laughs> for my hat collection, please. Deliver it to me tomorrow. Yeah, they, they airdrop it for him. <laughs> Out of a cargo plane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would, for some reason, I was imagining his, he had some type of special hat where there's like, those metals are magnetic and he's, mm. he's swapping <laughs> different metals in and out. It's a modular hat, the first of its kind. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to put a uh, refrigerator poetry on his hat. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> he, o- Okuyasu is going to draw him something. He's going to pin it on the top of his hat for everyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, j- I just need Chitaro to call Okiyasu a special boy. <laughs> Not metaphorically, I need him to say the words, you are a special boy. Out of the, the main three characters, Okuyasu is the only one who hasn't gotten the Jotaro respects you moment. Yeah. Josuke yeah. And, and Koichi have both gotten that, but not, mm. not Okuyasu. Because he hasn't been one foot in the grave near Okuyasu yet. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess be, so. Be careful what you wish for. Okuyasu just got to hang around, hope someone kicks Jotaro's ass a little bit. <laughs> uh, another point that I've made previously that is only becoming more true as uh, part four goes on. I guess I'm very good at this. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but but so many Diamond is Unbreakable stands are about manipulating structure in one way or another. So it's just so fun that Kira's ability is to totally eliminate structure. Yeah. And it's such a coherent theme for stand design that the exceptions feel out of place. Like... S- sorry, Love Deluxe and Harvest. I don't. I don't really care that much about you. <laughs> Your mm-hmm. users love you, great, but the stands themselves—they're pretty whatever in the face of like Cinderella or even uh, Rat, the Rat stand <laughs> named Rat. <laughs> and I guess that's part of why I'm not so interested in Act Three's abilities compared to Act One and Two of Echoes. Mm. I. I like what little I've seen of Act 3 as a walk and talk little guy as a mm-hmm. character, but uh, uh, 3 Freeze is not nearly as fun as playing with onomatopoeia in, in all of those various ways. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think Araki's really onto something with... Th- these characters have weird superpowers. You know, they can affect certain aspects of the world in some way. But also, you get to design a fucked up little guy that embodies that. <laughs> Real genius stuff. Yeah, and like the the weirder powers seem like a lot more fun to make a fucked up little guy <laughs> around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Act Three's design as a little rude cousin of Hierophant Green kind of way. <laughs> but the previous two Echoes, I love their weird designs. They're they're just like a weird kit bash of random elements. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think Echoes is very unique in the way that it relates to its user. Like no one else has their stand talk to them and tell them what to do so far <laughs> yeah i'm I'm trying to think about later parts in later episodes of part four and i really do think like like we still get plenty of moments with koichi from here on out but that fight of him with kira really is kind of like the conclusion of his character arc for the most part yeah 
And it's a really good bit. I love all the interactions that Koichi and Kira have with each other in that bit. Just like his secret dad that he didn't even know about. Yeah. Koichi being a little man who tells the the ultimate villain of this part, eat shit, I'll see you in hell, before he gets punched <laughs> clean through is yeah. really good. The, the writing in this part and like fucking narrative tension is so much... Like, I, I read this or watch it over and over again because I like it. And every time I forget how good it is. And every time I come back to the, you know, the Kira Koichi concluding moments where he then runs away. Mm-hmm. And like, it just gets me every single time. Just, and all throughout these parts, the writing and the tension of every fight scene and the conclusions to them are so satisfying. I, I can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> and just just like the emotional swing of the, the little guy suffering and persevering through when, when Jotaro didn't believe in him and he has the uh, uh, greatest, biggest victory possible. Mm. And you, oh, it, it swells your heart. And then it's almost all snatched away. Like, no, no. Yeah. 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 Part four is still like really stand out for me and just having some of the, the best character writing in JoJo, like the the, mm. the amount that you get invested in some of these people, especially little Koichi, because you want to root for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the, sh- the short king. Part part four could be twice as long. Just, just stuff it with more uh, Jankin boys, more rat stands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we just need some weird little guys. As long as every episode has a new weird little guy for a new two or three character set to go off of, new combinations we haven't really seen before. Because mm. uh, uh, Koichi and Okiasu alone for one scene with a heart father was really nice. What if it was like 15 whole minutes of those two going yeah. off with, without Josuke? Wouldn't yeah. that be fun? Come on. Yeah. You know, w- with every JoJo part that we completed so far for this, this show, I enjoy all of them but there's always a couple parts where it's just like oh i wish they did this or or you know came back to this or wouldn't this have been cool and like my biggest criticism for part four is less that stuff and more man i wish this was twice as long <laughs> yeah because so many so many of the characters they fight and you know do return for small bits you know every once in a while they they do something important but man there's so many characters that i like and want to see more of but they're not the main cast and so you don't get that as much as i want at least Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i want more tonio i want (laughs) more you know like i noticed in these reading these chapters a lot of times he'll start out by drawing a map of the town Mm -hmm. and putting all the little landmarks of places that we've been in the last you know 50 chapters morio itself and the way he's just started mapping out this like web of different characters and connecting them all and then in a later later chapter he'll go back and revisit that connection and draw on it and connect it to another stand user all the characters are all so interconnected and mm-hmm. It's almost like, because I noticed in this part where, like, we have, like, you know, Koichi meets Rohan, and then Rohan meets Raimi in the alley, and then Raimi was Kira's first victim, and that connects him to Kira, and then you have the other strand of, like, Okuyasu and Josuke meet Shigechi, and then Shigechi meets Kira and gets killed by him, and then those two connect to Raimi, and that, like, draws all the stand users in together to, like, go after Kira, and I'm like, oh my god, it's characters. That reminds me that, like, Rohan is aware that Kira nearly killed him as, like, an infant or a toddler. Yeah. But now that Kira is so present and, like, 
he never outwardly contends with that. And now I'm thinking that it makes so much more sense that this is the one thing other than his book Rohan cares about, like uh, yeah. uh, scoping people out at the train station. This is why he's invested. Yeah, He doesn't have to say it. We, I just said it for him. There you go. Uh, <laughs> my gift to you. Yeah, Rohan will speak for you. Oh, like he's going to talk about his feelings to all these these lessers? <laughs> no, no way. No, thank oh, you. God, there's like a there's a part in the manga where Araki writes this like fake mangaka interview section for him and then like <laughs> oh shit really it's, yeah it's so good like it's like the interview is asking rohan questions and rohan is like i don't care about that why are you asking me this question and then in brackets araki has penned rohan only cares about himself he will not like address <laughs> questions that do not relate to himself close brackets and like move on to the next question and like the whole rohan interview is him just being rude and then araki dissing him in the comments in the brackets <laughs> That's it's such a uh, contrast from Araki's own like the the Araki's corner bits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that every time I see one, I read it in my head in the the Will Ferrell Harry Carey voice because it's exactly the same stuff. <laughs> Araki wonders if I ever think about using hot dogs for money. Because <laughs> <laughs> Rohan is the. The Iraqi, these are the stuff I like insert, but definitely not like his self insert because everything about mm-hmm, Rohan mm-hmm. seems like the stuff that's like Iraqi is like, this is the opposite of me. I'm going to put it in here. Yeah, like he felt a need when heightening all these aspirational professional dreams. Like, yeah, but to counterbalance that, this dude's got to <laughs> suck on every other level. Just crank it all to 11. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, just like Jojo in general is cranked to 11. Mm-hmm. Like, just reading these chapters through, I was like, nothing, none of this is like necessary or makes sense, but it's just here. <laughs> Rocky's like, have you seen this? Well, now you have, and you're going to like it. <laughs> I just kind of like how each part of Jojo does get a little crazier than the last in, in some way, or, or fights start to get more abstract and stuff like that. It almost feels like each part of Jojo, it's, it's just like Araki shouted something in a really echoey hall, and he just keeps drawing whatever echoes back, and it just gets more and more distorted. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our previous guests said that at a certain point, Jojo stops being other genres, and Jojo just becomes a genre unto itself because it's... Yeah. it's Absolutely. I think that was Ix. I'm pretty sure that was, was that Ix. Ix. So okay. uh, listen to our Q3 uh, Stardust Crusaders episode. Thanks, Ix. Yep. <laughs> Thanks again for our uh, uh, channel art, Ix. It rules. Can't wait to see what part fives looks like. <laughs> oh, man. Even with part four, it, it feels so much more like Araki's own thing rather than mm-hmm. part one and two, which are a lot more just like, okay, this is kind of Fist of the North Star in a lot of regards, mm. uh, especially visually. I, don't know, I just love seeing the the evolution of Jojo. Yeah, because is there? Because I've not. I only read these parts. I didn't go backwards to this first half or to Stardust Crusaders. Like, is there something that Araki seems to have like let go of in order to focus more on this day to day life stuff that he's doing at the moment? I mean, the the travel is a big thing that that is huge in previous parts, but is no longer present. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. sticking in one spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being thorough in fleshing out this one place and also like i mean it's it's starting to come back now with with kira finally being introduced and in, in mm-hmm. murdering people but they're certainly like the show is still really violent but it's a lot less there's a lot less death yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because before it felt like 
oh, how do we make someone scary? Well, they're going to like kill someone in a disgusting way on screen. Whereas this is like, how do we make a th- something tense? And it's the scene of Kira inside the gym horse. Yeah. And the yeah. tension is, are they going to see the hand? And like, that's so much better than, oh, some uh, death, blood, bad. It's it's way better <laughs> than, say, Alessi. Mm-hmm. I don't like Alessi, but that fight at least had one good tense part, which was just the fear of being aged so much you turn into a fetus. I like that part. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, so much of the tension in Diamond is Unbreakable, a good portion of it is just not knowing whether you're in danger or not. Yeah. Yeah. That feels more appropriate for this this setting, which is just a town, because, yeah, you're probably not going to die walking around a town, but all these strangers might be fucking weird. And in, in Morio, <laughs> they are fucking weird. Everyone's weird. Watch out, that grandma. That grandma's the lady who relishes hostage situations. <laughs> Don't talk to her. Is is the one nice stranger in Morio just like the guy that tends the cemetery? Is like, <laughs> oh yeah, Rohan, I recognize you from when you were f- like three and a half. Remember when you got kidnapped by a serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so much of this JoJo is just like uncovering a mystery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compared to like oh we've got to defeat a guy it's like no we've got to find out like what this stand does which i do i do feel continues as the core thing of jojo yeah he the later parts also i mean they're they're all different but still a, a bigger core of mystery but but uh part of the stretch we're talking about today is conceptually one of the strangest parts of jojo's or at least unusual uh, uh for the series like between akira getting got and Kira asserting himself, there is no overarching goal. They're just yeah. waiting for more random stand users to, to make themselves known and see if they're dangerous or not. Mm. They're, they're yeah. just chilling for a while. Yeah, they're just chilling. They're just It's essentially just cleaning up the mess that Keicho and Akira made with the arrow. Mm. Well, actually, looking at the, the episodes, for, from this part, it's... You, you've got the two episodes with Rohan, and then you get Let's Go Hunting. And then we actually do, just in the, the fourth episode of this chunk, that is when we get introduced to the greater plot with Raimi. And it's extended uh, uh, sort of Kira Coda. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, love Raimi. She's fun. Yeah. Why is Raimi not the most popular character in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? <laughs> I don't can, know. Can either of you explain this to me? I don't know. Um, but... Girl. <laughs> People are too obsessed with Rohan's midriff. That's Which why. is fair. Most people like at least one girl. I don't see... <laughs> in one way or another, most people like a girl. Maybe two. <laughs> maybe more. Hmm. For $50, name one girl in JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I love how she just, she just comes out and she's like, I'm a ghost, but I'm fucking nice. Why are you running away? <laughs> Like, she's just exactly. here to help. The tension of not knowing if you're in danger or not. <laughs> yeah. And this time, it it's just a person. They're a ghost, but it's just a person. Mm-hmm. She just wants to tease you for being an asshole. She's a ghost, so, like, <laughs> what's the worst you can do to her? <laughs> Remy doesn't pop up a ton throughout this, but we, we do see more of her. I, I still feel like most of her interactions are with Koichi and Rohan since they're the first two to meet her. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it's kind of nice in Jojo to just get like, despite her being a ghost, she's like one of the most normal people in Jojo. 
Yeah. She's just embodiment of opposites. Yes. Yeah. She is just a teenage girl who's pretty fun to hang out with. Mm. And that, yeah, that that is also another fun contrast to have. She has the only dog safe from harm in the entire series. Because yeah. again, what's the worst you can do? Come on. God, I gotta say that the panel of the dog with its throat reptoid is like, I don't like to look at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's worse very, than the manga. Very, oh, God, very bad to see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, mm. Mm. All dogs must die except for those that are already dead. <laughs> yeah. If a dog is dead, it's safe. The only way to be safe as a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be killed if you're dead. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> Tricked. There has been a decrease in in dog death for sure, but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to remember the next time it happens. I know it happens at least one more time, and there is actually a certain point. I found a Twitter account, I think, <laughs> a little while ago that was just like a JoJo gimmick account that just documents the last time a dog died in JoJo, and uh-huh. actually the last time a dog dies in JoJo, I think, is in part four. Oh, but then after, in part five onwards, Jojo just kind of moves on to other animals getting annihilated and, mm. and, ex- and exploded. <laughs> so I think he just moves on just an- the animal kingdom in general mm-hmm. and gives dogs mm-hmm. a rest. Is the last dog in linear time? So so not Arnold, the ghost dog. Is the last dog to die still Angelo biting the face <laughs> off of that dog? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Hiraki started considering spider death, and it just opened up from there. Yeah, yeah, whole new world. So many I legs. Guess, uh. Do do we count Tonio's little cute puppy exploding for a second? Do we count that? It he's got fine. better. It got, it got better. Better than before. I it, guess I, so. I do think it still comes under comes under dog endangerment. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, it was an experiment. Like the the outcome <laughs> was not certain. That cannot be ignored. Yeah. Poor little dog just exploding. I do think dog, dog endangerment, it still counts whenever it's just a dog and it's drawn badly. Like, that counts as dog endangerment, I feel. <laughs> there are a lot of weird-looking dogs in the manga, for sure. It, it's endangering the public perception of dogs. It's more of a societal issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that Yukako got another episode. Mm-hmm. I always want to see more of her. She's really fun. Were these Yukako episodes... Was this Yukako redemption arc or not? Hmm. You mean in intention or is she is she good now? Do we like her now? Hmm. I like Yukako, but if she's good now, then she was good before because I don't think she changed at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's just a lady with a bit of an anger problem. <laughs> a and... bit. A bit. <laughs> And the only reason that she acted out was because she suddenly had a ghost superpower. Mm, mm. And that that was just like, well, time to fuck shit up. Fucking angry today. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So so more like Koichi acceptance arc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Koichi realized he likes ladies that are angry and assertive. And so now it's cool. (laughs) Good for him. He never saw her set fire to uh, the class. (laughs) That's true. Maybe maybe she, he just doesn't need to know about that. Part. <laughs> <laughs> there there is a very like powerful and relatable story of like, okay, you think you need this, this, and this, but what you really need is to just talk to the person you like <laughs> and go spend time with each other instead of staring at him from forty feet away. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really. <laughs> uh, I also so just really 
enjoy Yukako because she is, like we've said before, a character from a completely different manga and genre, essentially, slotted mm-hmm. into the world of JoJo, and that gives part four more types of stories to tell. Mm. Like, you would never see any of the stories that the Yukako episodes focus on in Stardust Crusaders. Mm. Mm. Or part one or two. You wouldn't see any shit like this. Okay, but if you did, it would be Avdol and Polnareff. Uh, I mean, yes. Obviously. obviously. Uh, absolutely. I don't know which one is which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I have to think about this after the podcast. Mm. Actually, speaking of Polnareff, Jenkin Boy has his outfit. Is that yeah. just me? <laughs> I, I pointed this out actually when we recorded this last weekend. Yeah, it's no, totally... that's fucking leather studded armor. He's a baby witcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it totally. He totally looks like he's wearing Polnareff's top. I don't know what you call that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good garment. It's, it's, it's fashion. Yeah. It's fashion. It's called fashion. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> Jenkin boy though is uh, a really interesting case in like the way stakes work and and yeah. Uh, in Diamond is Unbreakable because, like, Rohan is fighting to just not be annoyed. Uh, Ken <laughs> is fighting to, like, assert his will and know that, like, he will be... Uh, there, there is a place for him in the adult world uh, uh, that, that he can excel and, and be everything he wants to be. While Pappy Kira is like, yes, yes, your first kill. Let the hate flow through you. You will be a wonderful <laughs> warrior. It's part of his winter training. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's so weird to go from like the like sheer heart attack fight and like fucking Jotaro dies, Koichi dies, Kira escapes <laughs> and becomes a new kind of guy. And then the photograph incident. And then we have like Jankin Boy for which like the tension and the stakes are almost just as high because sort of, I guess, Rohan's sort of livelihood and stand and entire sense of self is on the line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they're just playing rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing rock, paper, scissors 40 feet in the air while screaming. That's the point. That's the difference. I remember the first time I watched that episode, I just lost my shit seeing them jump that high in the air and like do flips before throwing rock, paper, scissors. And it's like it's and it's not any more normal in the manga. Like they are they if anything, they're doing even weirder poses and in less uh realistic, acceptable, normal positions. Yeah. Like all the animated parts, like especially the earlier parts of JoJo where Rocky's art wasn't as clean. Mm-hmm. Like like the anime cleans a lot of those panels up to make them a little like more on model and stuff. But I kind yeah. of love <laughs> the jankiness of the earlier parts because the poses they strike are so fucked up and incredible. Oh, it's like, so good. It loops around from I don't quite know how to draw anatomy entirely right yet to like, oh, yeah, this was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think these chapters because you know, like i'd never read the manga before this week and i was like oh let's like dip into this for for podcast purposes and it's like i've read the later parts of the manga where like the art is almost entirely based on michelangelo's david um and various <laughs> models Araki has found it everyone just looks like so perfect and yeah then there's like the early chapters where it's like sort of fist of the north starified and it's sort of it's scribbly and loose and you can't quite tell if that's what it's supposed to be like or if that's just how Araki ended up drawing it but like these chapters in particular hit like a balance between those two things where it's like very clearly like the faces are drawn with that like 
perfection of the the David statue, but then like the poses are a lot like looser and mm. oh more expressive. But it's honestly much more effective than say reading through bits of part eight. Mm, yeah. because of just the way he uses like tone and shadow and especially considering like Kira because Kira in the joint like in the anime he looks like David Bowie but in the manga mm. he really fucking looks like David Bowie <laughs> um, and more I, than David Bowie did at some points in his life yeah very much so and I think the reason for that is because he's so kind of like almost like nubbly and wonky and craggy in the face instead of where in the anime he's sort of just perfectly smooth like the drawings aren't yet this perfect smoothness that i've come to expect from araki Mm -hmm. yeah i mean part four and i guess even the the middle bits of part four seem like such a watershed like there's before and there's after and part four has this mix of like having a foot in both uh Mm. often the best of both from from the scuttlebutt i uh, (laughs) that crosses my eye yeah yeah Yeah, i would definitely say this is the, the best of both it is wild to see like the evolution of one guy's art over like 30 years at this point i think i'm Mm -hmm, trying to mm -hmm. think what other parts or what other things have had a singular author run for that long other than one piece yeah where it's been the same guy the whole time and there's been this many changes because i feel like a lot of other manga they eventually hit a look and that's like okay Mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. what this looks like and so if there are any changes to the style or art they're a lot smaller Savage Dragon, I believe, is the longest-running U.S. comic uh, okay. with a, a sole creator. And I don't think there are eras of Savage Dragon the, the yeah. way you can talk about JoJo's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like usually there's the, the the you know the first few volumes of whatever this is, and they look a bit weird, and then you know the rest of them they've they've gone back and they've corrected the art style to make them good again. Um, <laughs> tennis, because like I've been reading a lot of Tintin for a Tintin podcast lately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all just like, ah, oh, we've corrected this to make it universal. Not all he went back to change. Uh- <laughs> uh, <laughs> but just for this, you don't really have like, oh, I'm just going to sort of flip genres in the middle. And now it's now it's all about fashion, baby, and animal death. <laughs> well, I mean, it was always about animal death. Um, because of the parts system and the, the Iraqi sort of predisposition to change genres between parts, between chapters, and just do genre of the week. It's just good. Yeah, like, you know, sometimes Araki seems to drop plot threads or ideas or whatever just because he's like, well, I don't like this actually, I'm bored with it, let's do something else. But (laughs) that also does lead him, Jojo, to change significantly almost every part, and Mm. I Mm -hmm. really appreciate that. So if sometimes a little girl like Anne gets introduced and then she's nothing, well, okay. (laughs) Yeah, looking at you, snow car incident. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, peek behind the curtain. Sarah has provided uh, the notes she took in preparation for joining us today with us instead of like keep keeping them like a poker hand like, <laughs> like everyone before her. And so there, there are two things on here that I don't think we've touched on directly. One is the, the flashback with the Snowden car. The second just quote, Iraqi off the shits with this one, lads. I don't know if we've spoken to that directly. <laughs> Yeah, we have, because we've spoken about how good the writing, pacing, and tension and everything okay, about right. this section is, and that's what I mean by Iraqi <laughs> off the shits for this one. All right, then, then let's talk about this this flashback. Okay, thank you for agreeing. This is definitely time-traveling Josuke. 
That's <laughs> everything about it. He's got the purple it. stud earrings and everything. Like, yeah. it's undeniable. <laughs> yeah, when I saw this part the first time, I was also like, okay, Josuke is his own hero. He traveled in time somehow and saved himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Grant, when are you, what are your predictions as to when when this is going to get resolved? <laughs> <laughs> Don't read my notes. Uh, I mean, there's that new spinoff manga that just started. Uh, oh, shit, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one that says Kakyoin came from Morio? Yeah, yeah. I haven't so read it yet. he's definitely Koichi's dad. Yes, absolutely. I haven't Confirmed. read it yet, but I'm, I'm very happy about that detail. <laughs> What other town could produce our, our gamer freak big ups to, to my man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, wearing a cool pair of shades is a thing in Morio, as we see from the little invisible baby. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> she's probably inspired by Kakyoin. Maybe that's why they can't find the, the baby's family. Are they even trying? I hope they are. Every time we're not seeing Joseph, I hope he's like calling uh, uh, some sort of government agency or a, a private eye or something. Listen, I mean, but, JoJo's requires me to suspend my disbelief for a lot of things, but I can't quite suspend it quite that much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's why they can't find this baby's parents. They, they are part of Kakuin's family who uh, just abandoned town in their grief on the, like, 11-year anniversary. Why then? I don't know. They're weirdos. Mm. They're Kakuin's family. Yeah, they heard Joseph was in town. <laughs> like, oh, we gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> we can't find the baby. It's fine. Just leave her. <laughs> Wait, two of them? Two of of uh, the kids' friends are here? Oh, we gotta leave town. So bad, bad stuff is happening. <laughs> if the French one comes, the, the town is going uh, to explode. Yep. Keep them out of here. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jankin Boy is embodying the spirit of Polnareff. Um, so that's <laughs> yeah. bad enough. God, that hole in his face, man. I hate the hole in his face. It's so gross. <laughs> man, I love... Like, the entire two-parter of Yoshikage Kira just wants to live quietly is great. But I really love that opening bit. Shopping for sandwiches mm. with the hand. Mm. Man. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. If there's any moment I, I think of regarding Kira that like embodies him totally, it's that fucking sandwich shop scene. Mm. It's always the scene I go to first. What a fucking freak, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> d- d- Dunkin' the hand into the sandwich. They're good sandwiches, man. Mm. The part that really gets me about that is specifically that it, that it is included in it that he takes a different sandwich. Yes. And therefore, someone <laughs> yeah. else has picked up that sandwich and eaten uh-huh. it. Probably been like, oh, this 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 one's got a hole in it, but it's fine. It's a really good gentleman sandwich. I'm going to eat it. And they don't know that a dead person's hand has been fingering it. Like, Kieran knows that what, that what he just did is disgusting. So, well, I'll take the one under it. That, that scene is possibly the most eroticized thing <laughs> I've seen in years. Yeah, yeah. Certainly in JoJo's. Like, they don't go there often, like, practically ever. But damn. Yeah, yeah. when they do. It's, it's just so gross. <laughs> in, in the manga, is there the sandwich next to the sandwich that is clearly just a gynecological diagram, but colored to look like a sandwich? Uh, let me return to it and see. Um, <laughs> that is not a thing I noted, um, but, but again, like it is in black and white. It's probably just less noticeable. And also, I'm not really <laughs> prone to uh, pussy spotting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, please load. What? Should I jump up? Said no this time. You can fuck off. <laughs> you fucking freak. So I note. I really like Harvest for 
I think it's the only stand that's named after specifically a record label other than like a band. Ah. Um, well, it's also named after an album. Oh, is there an album called Harvest? Yes. Ah, I assumed it was lab- named after the record label that Pink Floyd and several other prog rock bands were mm. on in the early 70s. Could well be. Um, I'm simply scrolling. Yoshikage Kira Wants to Live Quietly, part one. Oh, God, it's, he really does just simply look exactly like David Bowie. <laughs> um, don't see any gynecological diagrams. Seems like the real freak here is David Productions. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's pussy, babe. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm not crazy. Yep. That is that's totally what that sandwich is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to see this one, so I'm sending screen cups. Oh boy. Oh god. Look at that. Oh, that's some tasty fingers right there. <laughs> oh, that's a bad face. And he's just doing this in the store. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no one notices. Really is just like the level of like comfort that Yoshika Kakira has with doing his freak shit out in the world. Yeah. Unacceptable. Don't do that. He must have had a good nail day to, to be confident enough to do this in the middle of the store. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I I really like that addition that additional detail of him like measuring fingernail growth as like divination because that's just a fucking bizarre weird thing to do yeah you already know he does weird stuff when he knows he's alone but mm-hmm. just like getting more evidence of how weird he is when he knows no one is watching him like ugh. yeah it's a very narcissistic sort of outlook right like the world has a plan for me and it tells me what i need to do through my own body yeah. It's very self-focused. Uh, uh, yeah. Because you can con- contrast that with Rohan, who's the most narcissistic, selfish character in this part, arguably. But it's di- it's a different kind of narcissism. Mm-hmm. I was also trying to look up those manga panels, and I accidentally ended up uh, going off topic now. Uh, third Google result was an archive of our own fan fiction in which all, yes. th- oh, fuck yeah. all every single major JoJo villain lives together in one house. God, that's a big house. <laughs> it's a big house. Like there's tags on here and one of them just says cannibalism. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I guess if you have uh, the pillar men, that would make sense actually. They need to eat vampires. Makes sense. Look at these smooth boys. <laughs> One of my favorite things is seeing like previous JoJo characters in like the new JoJo style. Oh yeah, it's so good. When, whenever these scenes, I mean, so far it's happened like what twice in part four, but whenever these scenes come up in the anime, they like make a point as like a, a sort of Easter egg throwback to to draw them in previous part styles. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the manga, not so much, huh? <laughs> That's just. Yeah, we just have smooth little Jotaro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, in later parts of the anime, they do start to do those flashbacks with the current style of the part. So there will be a part in a later season where you get to see essentially the same Stardust Crusaders flashback shot of the whole gang. But man, they're all really smooth and young looking. <laughs> That's not the whole gang. That's right. Where's Iggy? I see no dog. <laughs> Where's the dog? He helped. I want to see what a part four Iggy looks like. What, oh, man. What, is he another breed now? 
He was the puppy in the cage who exploded. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. For his good deeds, he came back as a cute dog this time. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the, the good little boy, rest in peace, our, our jingly jester friend Shigechi. <laughs> He's just so nasty, uh, but you really... <laughs> the, his nastiness kind of mix is what makes him good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you come to enjoy the little goblin guy. Yeah, it's unique, I think, in his episodes in that, like, Okuyasu and Josuke are kind of the villains of those episodes. A little bit, yeah. They're trying to take advantage of this, I think, six-year-old child. <laughs> I know they say he's supposed to be in eighth grade, but I don't believe that. Nah, I'm looking at him. This is this is an orb <laughs> that Araki has drawn for me to ponder. But yeah, I, his his proportions, his little spikes, his obsession with coins. He is a goblin. He's an actual fantasy goblin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, I just love like character design wise. I love the little beads that go around his shirt. Mm, mm. I love those. Yeah, it's something like you look at him. You're like, what are his head nubs? Are they, <laughs> are they bone growths? Are they some kind of hair? Or do they, <laughs> does he just and he just like that? Bart Simpson was huge when this was being published. <laughs> I I feel like part four is also the point where Rocky starts drawing people with he starts introducing more body types, but the body types are frequently like little freak, little guy. <laughs> yeah. Like we've seen multiple adult men who are about two feet tall now. Mm-hmm. Um and that just keeps happening. And in later parts, we get like... Why do you think that guy works on shoes? He can't reach (laughs) any of the other clothes. Yeah. And like in later parts, we start to see more extensions of like the weird nubs on Shigechi's hair, Mm. where suddenly there are prison guards in Florida who have fucked up heads. I don't know what's (laughs) happening with them, but they're messed up. Yeah, I respect the anime so much for just looking at the Wadaraki during the manga and going... Guess they look like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're good at, admit. Some of these people look like they need to go to a doc. <laughs> like, it's no longer just like, you got weird head dubs. It's just like, what's wrong with your face? Are you okay? It looks well, like everything is swollen. In in this part, we also get, you know, the, the Cinderella man stand and the whole mm-hmm. kind of almost sort of phrenology type stuff of the mutation being like, oh, well, the proportions of your face and body will determine your fortune in life. So I guess this is just these people's fortune in life is to be fucked up little guys. And that's what <laughs> works for them. Despite Shigechi really only being in like, what, three episodes? Yeah, four episodes total. The two where mm-hmm. he gets fought and then... The two where he hangs out and then dies. Yeah. The story makes you like Shigechi pretty quickly and make you feel bad that, you know, he fucking got murdered. Because is he the first major death yeah. in this part? Yeah, yeah. And he, he's, he's the death that sort of kicks everything off to, to mm-hmm. finding Kira. That is absolutely true. Uh, the, the only contender for a previous major death, I, I guess, would be Josuke's grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, he was a cop. also true he was a named character that died during the events of the show yeah 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 shigechi's hits way harder because like grandpa is just like an inciting incident and it's just like well he had to die to make the story start basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we already have police he's a very good dog (laughs) yeah but yeah shigechi like his death actually hits Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, oh shit, you know, like Shigechi got murdered. Anyone can get murdered now. 
especially he's just if they're a, a little guy. Sweet little greed monster. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's so lovable and nice, and writes up IOUs for like a buck. <laughs> yeah, and like I noticed when reading the manga because the the line of Killer Queen has already touched the doorknob is like a you know long standing like sort of Jojo meme that like oh that's mm-hmm. the Kira thing that is said but in the manga like the panel of that is a tiny little to the side panel like not so you know it's not like say Jotaro approaching Dio panel that's also a meme that everyone references when thinking about Dio but it's just that the like the line and the sort of narrative place that Killer Queen has already touched the door ho- doorknob has in killing Shigechi off it just really just really gets you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sort of it sort of earned its place in Jojo memedom, not through <laughs> a ha funny drawing or a ha funny translation. It's just like it's just good. <laughs> the the moment is great, but it's a moment that pays off uh Shigechi's desperate struggle to survive. And like he's not trying to to save anybody really like yeah he, he wants to stop this guy from hurting his mommy and his daddy he knows the stakes here but he's just desperate to not die before he really begins life yeah yeah and then the other part that gets me about that part is that there's a sort of secondary chapter epilogue part after that where everyone like gathers together and like mm-hmm. goes to mm-hmm. the the ghost alley to talk to to remy and like we get to see just, there's just like this montage of all the different stand user who stand users who've been brought together by this little goblin freak's death. Compared to previous parts, this is the most actual like mourning we've seen for someone dying because it's always either mm-hmm. been we have to keep going or yeah. everyone's manly so they shed one tear and, <laughs> and walk on. And now we got a bunch of teenagers and old people. <laughs> And they're just sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's the bit where, like, I think it's Okuyasu who seems to be, like, the most effective, affected by mm-hmm. yeah. Shigechi's dying. Because, and, like, you know, he's been the sort of the most, like, I'm the man. I have no princess <laughs> character. And also because, like, that he he's upset there because it's also reminding him of his failure to save his brother from being murdered, basically. Like, yeah. like he ha- he has baggage from that. And I kind of like how, like, aside from the fight between Okuyasu and Red Hot Chili Pepper, Okuyasu's, like, character development and moments are a little more in the background and subtle compared to, say, Koichi, who is in the forefront when he's yeah, experiencing yeah. his mm-hmm. development. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Okuyasu, despite being this, like, kind of loud, goofy doofus, like, mm. whenever he's actually feeling things and going through shit, he's really quiet and, like, kind of in the back. Like, he slinks back into the background. Yeah, it's opposites again. You, you know whenever Koichi makes a breakthrough because he swears a lot and gets a new haircut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he powers up. This, this Kira scene just reminds me of uh, another thing that I think is unique. I mean, it's only the second part with stands, and it's a stand thing, so it's going to be a little unique. But mm-hmm. uh, the, so, so many of our characters allies and irredeemable villains alike have no idea what a stand really is or or how to deal with stand interactions Uh and it's our heroes going around teaching this thing whereas in part three everybody they fought was like a stand expert it (laughs) seemed like they had them for life which is part of why the the revelations about the arrows are kind of don't land for me (laughs) but (laughs) 
and it's our heroes who are learning what they can do step by step. Around by the time they get to Egypt, they they got it. But still, mm. it's it's very very different in Diamond is Unbreakable, where so many people are like, "Wait, you can do this too? Uh, let me immediately find out a way to kill you." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like like it's cool. Like it's cool even to see the main villain Kira go like, "Oh shit, other people have this stuff." Hmm. Okay. Uh. It's called a what now? Okay. Yeah. Right. Except I got it. somehow, and I'm wondering if this is a, like a another a secret hidden ability that the arrow has. Somehow they're all compelled to name them after some kind of band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just know to do that. Previously, everyone seemed to have known that they had to get their stand name from uh, a deck of tarot cards, and also they had to make sure to draw a card no one else had yet. <laughs> so, at least in Mario, it makes a little sense. I mean, they, they've got that wonderful radio station everyone loves so much. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I guess we can guess what is most in rotation at Mariocho Radio <laughs> by how people are naming their stands. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at these uh, screen grabs you've shared just reminds me how, like, part of the difficulty of uh, adapting this is, like, Araki's panels, they're all over the place. They're any size, any shape. A lot of them are very, very vertical, especially reaction shots will just be mm. a head in the bottom and words or just, like, reaction onomatopoeia in the top in a long, thin strip. Mm. But anime can't do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Anime can split the frame, but there is a constant frame at all times. Yeah. It really is impressive, like, how closely David Productions has been able to mimic the the style of the manga. Not just visually, but in its presentation and, le- and all that. Like, it almost feels like there are no other animation studios out there that could do JoJo the way David Productions does. It feels like one of those rare productions you get where there's a bunch of like super fans of that thing they're yeah. adapting yeah. on the staff yeah because there's and again i've been thinking about this talking about tinted like there's a different way that time moves in mm-hmm. comics panels than can be achieved in animation because animation like everything is constantly moving but comics in making your brain do the work itself fundamentally does a different thing yeah, yeah. So many of these stands uh, interact with the structure of comics that I kind of wish, I don't know, you don't want to change much, right? Or it's not the thing anymore. I get that. But mm-hmm. like, uh, I can't see the hand without thinking of uh, uh, panel gutters, you know? Mm. Uh, maybe I'm just Grant Morrison mm. poisoned. But <laughs> <laughs> at some point, I'm going to have to go back, especially through part four, because I, I read the part four manga once years ago. I kind of want to re-examine at least some of it just because when I was reading it, I was not thinking about panel layout at all. Mm. I'm curious to see what the panel layouts are like now just because... Well, I haven't read a ton of Grant Morrison stuff. Just through Grant, I am also a little Grant Morrison poisoned. (laughs) Uh, Become Grant-pilled. Read Multiversity with me. You'll love it, I promise. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'll do it. But yeah, now, now I'm curious kind of... To, to actually like study the the panel layouts of uh, Iraqi's stuff, mm. like how deliberate a lot of it feels, or if it's just like, well, here's panels. Here's what I mean. Th- this seems to me a typical like reaction shot. Oh yeah, mm. really long and narrow. Yeah, because because that's a shape you can slot in between two panels or at the side of a panel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very useful for like page Tetris. Yeah, like it, it's a very speedy panel shape as well. 
I'm also curious if like these very vertical thin strips of panels he uses sometimes also probably makes a bit more sense when you think at least when I've seen a lot of like untranslated manga there's a lot more word bubbles in manga that's very vertical because it's a lot easier to just have a vertical line of characters Mm -hmm. in there because it's all you know grid bait or uh Mm -hmm. they're all square characters so it looks nice and i wonder if that kind of informs the panel layout a bit too like with the 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 flow of the characters and stuff yeah i keep looking at this one panel where where kira looks absurdly david bowie i just keep (laughs) ridiculous yeah, because like I'm start I'm realizing that a lot of the way that I have, because I've like drawn the occasional like manga based thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like specifically I drew a, a fan manga for the podcast Anime Sickos. Oh, nice. But I'm realizing that like everything, my approach to that is very much based on JoJo and like all the panels being at like funny angles or being like a lot of diagonals on the page. Because I, I also like remember watching um, there was a I think a Japanese TV series called Manben where they follow like manga artists. Mm-hmm. And that was on YouTube for a while, but it got taken off. Mm. And like I was watching through that, being like, okay, like how am I gonna approach like drawing a manga and like just like looking at like other mangas like Demon Slayer, where everything is really quite like square and like in ordered, almost like Tintin esque in how it's laid out. And then going back to Raki and it's like, blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, <laughs> ah, yeah, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I'm curious to eventually read later parts. With the change of his art styles, every once in a while I've seen like an out of context page from like part, the most recent part, part eight, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm going like, what in the fuck is happening? Like, <laughs> Panel layout's fine, but it's just like trying to interpret the art, and I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> I'm curious if actually just reading it makes it make more sense, or if it's just like <laughs> something it changed in the way of his art and his the the way he's like staging these panels that makes it a lot harder for me to decipher. <laughs> no, I definitely remember being like really quite confused when reading like I mean probably more like part five because I read part five before mm-hmm. the anime came out, and I wasn't really quite sure what had happened in it. Mm-hmm. So I was excited for the anime to come out so I could figure out what happened in part five. Part five has a couple fights where it's very much like, what? What? Yeah, which, because this section of JoJo was really nice and easy to read because the fights are like, there's no, there's really not much like punching going on. It's just like, yeah. where's the rat action sequences? Yeah. But I don't know, like, I feel like that's kind of a problem that... I have with manga sometimes like you know I read through uh, Jujutsu Kaisen mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago and like I have no idea what happened in any of those fights <laughs> I'm just like there was a lot of lines in the page and I guess I'll find out when the anime comes out what happened there is a much earlier recap episode we did with my girlfriend Voiberger. I believe I said back then that especially for the later parts of Jojo Araki's artwork really feels like it benefits from color mm. to make it more decipherable, at least for the later yeah. parts. Because a, a, a lot of his manga, or all of them except part eight, maybe have colorized versions now, at least in yeah. Japan. The the colorized version of part four, I remember people had issues with that one because it wasn't as crazy color-wise as like the anime mm-hmm. is. Yeah, definitely. I have a distinct memory of like trying to read part five manga and then be like, nah, this isn't happening, and then finding the color version and be like, oh, I understand now. Yeah. 
I totally understand this flattened boat that was wrapped up over another <laughs> boat like plastic wrap. What? I know what I want. That's that is one of the hardest ones to decipher, I think. But anyways, part four. <laughs> yeah, I think this in the to conclude the thing I think about the manga is that this mm-hmm. section and this style of storytelling where it's not a punch fight, it's just a weird mystery they have to figure out, is the easiest to understand and I think Araki's strongest thing that he does. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why part four is still probably my favorite. Mm. Although what I've seen of part six so far, I've, I've also really enjoyed. Uh, well, Sarah, thanks again for, for coming to join us. Uh, uh, before we, we uh, all say our goodbyes, is there anything you would like to point our listeners towards? Um, I know you are very productive. Yeah, I have like six podcasts. Um, go to twitter.com and I'm at Sarah McCostumes, MCC Costumes, and I think they're all in my bio. I think the ones most relevant to this podcast are, I already talked about the Tintin podcast I'm doing. The name of that is Tan 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 Tan. Uh, but you can just go to tintinpodcast.com to find that. <laughs> I also have a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast if you want to hear me talk about uh, our favorite little pharaoh ghost boy. What, what's that uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! show called? Oh, yes. Yu-Gi-Oh! show is Pot of Greed. Um, and what's that do? That we just watch Yu-Gi-Oh! and we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you got to draw more cards. Oh, uh, fuck. <laughs> I missed the bit. Oh, no. Pot of Greed is a really good name for that podcast. See, we're getting to the part of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX where the card Pot of Greed has been banned. So now we're like, <laughs> we've got stuff like Pot of Avarice and Avatar of Greed and other all the weird like pot-based spin-offs. And I'm so excited to get into that shit. Okay, so is this just the the part where the card was banned in actual play or does it get banned in the anime? I assume that the anime tries to reflect the cards that are happening in real life so that you buy them. So yeah, the pot has mysteriously disappeared from the anime with absolutely no explanation is what's happened. I was desperately hoping there was a character going like, like some judge in an episode going like, pot agree cannot be played anymore. No! And and that's why we've been struggling for pot of greed decriminalization ever since. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 pretty much me. Go to Sarah my costumes on Twitter, and you can find all the other podcasts I do. There's like seventeen. That's an exaggeration. There's only seven. Uh, another thing, uh, in addition to uh, Rohan's abs just being fully out in uh, the Jonkin Boy episode that we failed to mention, mm. is it's the 100th episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure oh, to shit. be animated. Oh. Wow. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So so we have, by talking about it now twice, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, we have met a big uh, milestone on this show. You know what other show reached 100 episodes uh, recently? <gasps> Riverdale. So that's why I want everybody to go listen to uh, one of my other shows, uh, Sex Archie, uh, where we talked most recently, because we are now in a mid-season break, about episode 100 the the jughead paradox uh not only an episode 100 celebration but also the finale to the rivervale miniseries event does it handle uh both of those uh tasks ably simultaneously hmm <laughs> each one separately is real good i'll say that <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you can find that all the usual places. I do I do enjoy making sex, Archie, and it is wild that I've reached 100 episodes at the same time on both of these shows. <laughs> weird, weird quirks of history there. Yeah. 
it's, you know, it's like stand users always attract each other. Um, it's true. Uh, it's probably. And so do 100th episodes. There yeah. we go. <laughs> so we will be back next week uh, talking about episodes 27 through 29 of Diamond is Unbreakable. I'm an alien and Highway Star parts one and two. Oh, yeah. God, fuck, they're so good. I'm going to keep reading the manga for the rest of the day. The ship fucking rules. <laughs> it's so good. All right, and we will see you then. To be continued. Later. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs>